Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen, Money Matters. Mind under matter. If you don't mind, money still matters. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking tonight? I, I am really good. <laughs> better better than the first two takes. <laughs> um, and I'm still drinking a margarita, because it's Taco Wednesday. But, that makes uh, no sense to me. <laughs> it shouldn't make it's any Taco sense. Taco Tuesday. Alliterations are the only legitimate names for things. Mm. That's the rule, right? It is, but everyone has tacos on Tuesday, so we have them on Wednesday. Do you go somewhere to get tacos? You know, there was a great place in Hoboken, but uh, they're gone. There was a great place in Hoboken. You were actually there. And you I'm, were there. I'm salty about them being gone. Mm-hmm. I feel like I said salty in like a Jersey accent. I didn't mean to, but I am, I am not happy about that because that place was fantastic. It was. But as I was telling you earlier, uh, I'm drinking a Traveler Pineapple Shandy. They just came out with this flavor and it's awesome. Does it taste like pineapple? It does. It's like, it's like, uh, it's pineapple-y, but not too sweet and like too much like a juice. It. It does still taste kind of like a beer, but it's just, mm. I don't know, it's its really good. I like it better than the lemon one. I had the lemon one. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I'll you? see if I can find the pineapple. I mean, it has like a smiley face pineapple with like an aloha on it. It uh, has. I'm well, down. he's not smiling. It's just like glasses and a mustache, but mm. it's pretty recognizable. And I don't like the fact that it says limited release here because I like this better than mm. lemon. I'm also, uh, Martin brought home some... Irish whiskey chocolate. Ooh. So he gave some me some to try, but I can't taste the whiskey at all. It just tastes like chocolate. It just tastes yeah, it just tastes like chocolate to me. That'd be I've too had dangerous other novelty here. chocolate, like orange chocolate or bacon chocolate. Like those taste like what they're supposed to taste like. If it tasted like worse. chocolate, Laura and I would crush that in a night. It would just be well, gone. I still have some here. I don't know why it's still here. It should mm. be gone, but I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. So now it's here, and now once I'm not talking for a good stretch, I'll shove it into my mouth. <laughs> Done. Checked off the bucket list. <laughs> anyway, I have to keep remembering to thank people for catchphrases. Mm. So this week's catchphrase, which I didn't get for a second, but I think I do get it. Mind under matter. If you don't mind, money still matters. That makes sense to me. And that comes from uh, Q Josack on Twitter. So thank you for your catchphrase. And uh, if anyone else wants to have their catchphrase read on the show, uh, we are at Money Matters. Um, no, at Money Matters Man, that's what it is. At Money Matters Man on Twitter, or you can email us your catchphrases and we will get them read on the show. So today, uh, for the second time in the show's history, but for the first time since I've been co-host, Andrew, your dad is on the show. Yes, it's actually his third time technically because it was a Father's Day special. That's right. I remember that. I remember right when I was back when I was just a listener. So Mark, welcome back to the show and good to meet you for the first time. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. And I am drinking a Cameron Hughes Meritage Lot 468. Ooh. Is that a beer or is that a wine? It's a oh, it's wine, a wine. wine. Gotcha. <laughs> Had to go and outfancify us tonight. All right. <laughs> I have some Cote de Rhone that I need to go drink later, so I'll be getting into fancy mode later. Though I have to get up at 3.30 in the morning tomorrow for a flight, so... That's insane. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I don't know what I was thinking when I booked that flight. I have no clue, the, but I won't be good doing it again. That early. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to be mad at my past self tomorrow morning, but that's okay. 
So for this episode, you know, we've done some salary negotiation episodes in the past. Mm. I think we've done some things that kind of like dance around the whole getting a job topic, but I'm not sure how much we've actually just straight up dug into how do you get a job and how to you how do you differentiate yourself from other candidates? How do you be competitive and how do you get the job that you want? Yeah. And Mark, you've got what like 30 years of experience in the yep. finance industry. You've hired people, fired people, managed people, like the whole gamut. So we thought you would be the perfect person to ask. Sure. Um, and I'm not sure if you want me to start with like if you're in college and you're trying to figure out how to get a job or after that, but um, maybe I'll start there. Is that all right? Or? Actually, yeah, that'd be perfect. I yeah. mean, you know, my podcast is a college audience and I know we have a lot of crossover, so I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of students listening to this. And we're working really like, hard how do to I like, get a job? to like steal all of Thomas's audience. <laughs> steal them all. Yeah. You know, you can only listen to one podcast. That's right. Oh, this. <laughs> all right. Well, this will help then. So, so, you know, I think a lot of college students don't realize that your college years are really important to starting to build your career. Um, and certainly internships, the earlier, the better, you know, unlikely between uh, freshman and sophomore, but certainly the earlier you get internships going. So, you know, trying to get the internships in the industry that you'd like to work in is key. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize if even after your senior year, once you've graduated, you can do an internship after senior year before you go out into the real world. And depending upon the industry you're in, obviously it can help a lot in either landing a job with the company that you interned with, um, but certainly the experience helps. Um, and I think a lot of people do not really leverage their uh, college career office, which uh, yeah. gets a lot of leads and can help with resumes and stuff like that. So just just like from a starting point, that helps quite a bit. How much does it cost I, I get to this have question these people? A lot, like... No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I get this question a lot. Like, how do I get the internship? How do I, you know, everyone wants some experience. They want an internship. They want me to have some sort of like stuff on my resume. But what if I have nothing. I'm just starting out. Where do I go from there? Yeah. So, so the best, the best way obviously is if you know someone who works at a company where they have internships, again, the college career office will tend to have a list of companies that are offering internships. And then there are like tons of websites that, uh, offer up internships or mm -hmm. links to internships. So I think the sooner you get that started, even if you're in your freshman year, but you know, just leveraging the websites, your college career office, people, your friends, your relatives who work at companies. Uh, sometimes some companies will even create a one-time internship for somebody who knows someone. So okay. I, so I know we can't say where you work, but I'm curious, does your company do internships or have they done internships in the past? Uh, we do do internships. We usually do one at a time. It's uh, okay. typically from one of the universities that one of the partners have graduated from. Mm -hmm. uh, we will sometimes do two in a year, one during the winter break and one during the summer break. Okay. Uh, now, so I know internships if, are more educational focused than a regular job, but what are the kind of criteria you're looking for in a student as a potential intern? Yeah. So since we're in financial services, we're looking for somebody who obviously has great math skills. Mm -hmm. They may not necessarily want to be in financial services when they graduate. Maybe they're uh, majoring in engineering or something like that but analytical skills um, and obviously the ability to get things done. You were saying from that like a, uh, 
people. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. I'm like, fuck you, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is good, though, because like the immediate question that I see like a freshman asking themselves is like, OK, how do I display that I have math skills? How do I display that I have analytical skills if I haven't already had a job in one of those areas? Mm. You know, do you, should they put like that they're in calculus two on their resume for that or um, just wait till the interview to to talk about it? Uh, I think wait to the interview. I mean, if you're if you're majoring in engineering, as an example, again, obviously you've got pretty good math skills, or mm-hmm. you know, one of the sciences, you've got good math skills. Um, so I don't think you need to put that specifically on your resume. Okay. You were saying that uh, the best way to get a job is if like you know someone, right? I mean, like if someone wanted to intern at your company, and they knew you, they have obviously a much better chance. Chances are, they they don't know you. And then people don't know people in the company. What can you do to be that person that knows people? Um, so I, I think LinkedIn is a great place to go. I know it's probably some people have not been as active on it as they used to be. And I think that unfortunately LinkedIn has become more like Facebook than like LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But they have the, the great tool on LinkedIn is knowing who is connected to who. So let's say, you know, company X, you really want to get an internship there and you go onto LinkedIn and you find out someone that you're linked to knows someone that works at that company. Um, you know, the six degrees of separation, so that works really well. And I think a lot of people are willing to help people. So leverage your contacts on LinkedIn or your contacts over your contacts or even three times removed. Um, and then also LinkedIn is a great tool for research. So use LinkedIn to see all right, who works at this company. Maybe I could contact them. Uh, people who I think are in business and get contacted by a college student, I, I think actually feel really good about it. They feel like, wow, this person contacted me. They're being proactive. And if they can't initially help with their company, they might be able to give some other ideas and contacts. Yeah. Actually, I have a story about that can like basically back that up. Uh, my girlfriend, when she was a student, she reached out to some graphic designers in Minneapolis and just asked like, hey, I'm looking for a job after school. Um, and you guys are all from Iowa State, you're alumni, and I'm at Iowa State too. I'd love to talk to you, take you out for coffee, and just basically ask like how you got to where you got and what worked for you. And they were all more than happy to meet with her. So she actually drove up three hours to go meet with them. And that was really productive. And she didn't ask for a job, but she got three connections out of that. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So, um, does a LinkedIn profile matter? I know a lot, there are like a lot of people who don't even have them yet or find it annoying and you have to send in a resume anyways. I think a LinkedIn profile helps, um, for somebody just to get an overview of who you are and what you do Mm -hmm. and who your contacts are. Certainly recruiters use it quite a bit. I don't think you need to put your whole resume on there. Obviously, if you're a college student, you don't have a whole resume. Uh, but I think people do look at it. I know that one of the great tools is before you go into an interview, see if you could look up the people you'll be interviewing with, find out a little bit about them, what they like, obviously do research on the company, obviously go in saying, Hey, I, I, I'm on this interview because I want to work at your company and these are the reasons why. So I think it's a great tool for that. I'm not sure as as good as it used to be for job service specifically, like expecting somebody, Hey, I see you're on LinkedIn. I'm going to call you up for a job. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me, I feel like it's just something that you should be on because if you're not, then you're absent from it, but it's not necessarily a silver bullet. Right. Kind of thing. 
So you're talking about interviews. Um, I mean, we could talk a bunch about interviews, but I think one of the biggest concerns, especially for students and people who are early on in their careers, is getting over that nervous feeling of going in interviews. So how do you go into an interview and I don't know how you convince yourself that you can be confident and not scared? So I, I think the best way is to practice and you should leverage your friends or family. Certainly, if you know someone who is has a managerial role in a company and just do a mock interview. And mm. ask them to ask you questions, ask them to be tough on you, ask them to surprise you. And I think if you do that a number of times, you'll start to feel more comfortable. And if they ask you a lot of really challenging questions, the interview, the actual interview you're going becomes a lot easier because you've had that question before, you've been coached, they're going to tell you uh, it's not a good answer or this is the way you should answer it. So certainly use your friends. You know, in uh, 2008, after the whole crash, I wanted to find another job. And I went on interview and I got crushed. I just sucked. I was the worst. And I realized like, because it, it's the skill you never practice. And so I made it a point to just always go on like every interview possible, even for stupid companies never mm-hmm. wanted to work at. I think it like helps kind of just like breaking down like fears. Mm, definitely. And you, yeah. you, you've both heard of the... 30 second elevator speech, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so that, I've never quite known, like, are you supposed to literally write that out or is it just kind of like something you practice and you kind of have in the back of your head? It's something you practice, you know, like imagine you're in the elevator and you meet, I don't know, the CEO of some company and you have mm-hmm. 30 seconds without sounding too pushy to tell them, this is who I am. This is what I do. Uh, and I think that that's a great prep for an interview as well. Cause it just, gives you a little of the confidence that you've been through your stuff and you really know what you're talking about. Andrew, what's your 30-second interview pitch? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I, I would probably fall into the trap of asking them like a soft question and then getting sucked into a meaningless conversation. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I actually – how do you even do that? Like what is appropriate? I think it depends upon the person you meet the interview you're on and the role that you're looking at and what your experience is. And I think you need to tailor it based on that. I think a lot, I think mistakes that a lot of people make in interviews, they just don't prepare. They think they know their resume. They feel they just can go in cold and it'll be fine. And when you say prepare, what do you mean? Like, I mean, so, so you you really do need to read up on, you know, like let's say it's Apple as an example and everybody feels they know Apple, but do they really? So you really need to do the research, understand it as much as you can based on what you read. And, you know, there's a pretty much a 99% chance that the person that's going to interview you will be on LinkedIn, find out about them, their career, their background, the likes, and go in there saying, like, I'm not just looking for a job, I'm looking to work here and these are the reasons why. And I think people go in thinking they understand the company or they feel comfortable with the job description and know they could do it, but have not done the research so that it looks like they really want to work there. Hmm. What kind of questions do you, I'm, I, I'm assuming you've interviewed people, right? Oh, tons. Yeah. Okay. So do you ask like behavioral questions? Do you ask like those, what would you do with paper clips, like give me 50 uses for a paper clip. Like what kind of questions do you kind of focus on? I think all those questions are sometimes useless. Depending upon if the person is experienced or not, if they're experienced, I'll ask them to give me some examples of a situation where uh, their, their manager disagreed with something they wanted to do and had to convince their manager why 
they will write. Okay. Uh, I, um, if they if they have achievements, I ask them, well, you know, how did you achieve that? What did you do? Um, I ask them if uh, if they had to rate themselves, how would they rate themselves on, on you know their managerial skills if they're more senior on their analytical skills. Um, I don't ask the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Cause you know, I think that's, that's another useless question. <laughs> um, but a lot so of it is the five year answer anniversary of you asking me this question. <laughs> that's right. But, but I think the other really important thing on the interview for the person interviewing is to try to manage the interview rather than having it managed for you. You need to have lots of questions because some managers in the interview will answer a lot of the questions before you've even asked them. And mm-hmm. if it seems as if you don't have any questions, you know, well, that's not good at all. That's a good point. And actually, what do you think are some good questions to ask? Um, you could ask, you know, like the typical questions like uh, one of my favorite questions is imagine you've hired the perfect person for this job. Fast forward a year. What have they achieved in a year? And that'll give you a pretty good feel of what the manager's expectations are, the type of person they're looking for, and what they think that person should achieve. And that, that gives you a pretty good feel. That's a really good question. And I can and that, I can identify with that. I mean, you probably can too, Andrew, because you've basically hired people at this point, and so mm-hmm. have I. And you kind of have this vision in your head of like, all right, this person's not going to be this immediately, but eventually with some training and experience and getting involved with the culture, this is what I would like them to be able to do, ideally, you know, once that happens. Right. I mean, other really good questions, and it's actually important more from a personal point of view than from getting a job point of view is, you know, why is this position open? Is it a new position? Did somebody have it before? Why are they no longer there? Did they get promoted? Did they leave? Uh, what are the, some of the challenges that I'll encounter? What's the corporate culture like? Uh, do people work together? You know, what's teamwork like? I want to okay. pull back to that that question you said, where like rate rate your analytical skills. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really open ended. Uh, I mean, like, well, I mean, not open ended in the sense you could be like eight. I'm I'm an eight out of ten, <laughs> right? Like question over seven point like, six. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, so like what like what do you do with a question like that? And maybe to like broaden a little bit, like. When they're like, tell me about yourself. Like, what do you do with that? Like, how, how do so, you so answer you, these? Yeah, so you give an example. So let's say you had a project you were working on and you weren't going to meet a deadline because uh, somebody hadn't done something they were supposed to do. So you were able to come up with this process to shortcut what you needed to do. So just give examples of something you've achieved that you had to use some analytical skills in order to get there. So it's not really like I'm an eight out of 10. It's like, um, you know, the company was losing money on this one product. So I went in and I did some analysis and I discovered that the purchasing process was not getting bids from competitors and we were paying more than we should have. So it should be like practical examples that then show that, yeah, you do have some analytical skills or you can think on your feet or you can be proactive. So you should come into an interview with like case stories like things where you're almost hoping to tell them based on questions. Yeah, but but you shouldn't mm-hmm. hope to tell. So this goes back to where I think as the person interviewing, you should try to control the interview mm-hmm. to the extent that you can so that you're talking more about yourself. You've done your research on the company. You understand the job description and you're going to tell them why you're the perfect person for the role. You're not going to say those words, but you're going to give examples so if it's a, so let's say it's, a, I'll give something that's more from my background, uh, an accountant role. 
um, doing a specific product and you have some experience in that, you're going to give examples of, oh, I've done that product before and this is how we, you know, did the analysis. So the more you could drive the interview so that the interviewer is listening, but then asking follow on questions to what you've said is a lot better than the interviewer asking you questions and you're always trying to catch up to figure out, all right, what's, what's going to come next. So one of the things we get asked hmm. a lot is, like, you're obviously selling yourself in the interview, but how do you avoid, like, not overselling yourself? Because there's, like, one hand, like, you're you're kind of telling things that you've done, and there's another hand where you're, like, kind of arrogant and tooting your own horn. How do you uh, kind of balance that? Um, it is a delicate balance. I think if you just, if you do it in the right way, so if somebody says, um, you know, talk to me about a challenging person in your company that you've had to work with, um, you know, what did you do to, to achieve a balance to getting what you needed to get done? I, I think you could do it in a way without sounding like, you know, I, I outsold every person in the company or um, I did more work than anyone else. I mean, those are things obviously you don't want to say. Yeah. So I, I, I think you just need to toot your own horn, but not in a way that makes it sound like you're better than everyone else, mm. but that you've done all the things your manager expected. And, and, you know, a lot of managers will ask for those who have experience here, well, how did your manager rate you last year? And, you know, obviously you want to tell the truth. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I was rated number one in this. And um, obviously one of the most challenging questions is, um, you know, tell me about something where you think you need to do a little more work or you need to, to improve on. And you don't want to use something like, well, I'm really not good at numbers or I come to work late every day. You know, you want to use something that is kind of easy to work with. Like, um, you know, I, I take on a lot more work than I should cause I really want to get things done or, you know, I want to do a good job or I work longer hours. You know, something that sounds like you're being, you're doing a really good job and your downside is, you know, may, maybe, you know, like you're, putting in more time than you ideally should be because you really want to do a good job. Not like, like your downside is that you're I, too I good. Think there's, exactly. I think there's a fine line <laughs> with that question where like it really easily slips into bullshit territory. Yeah, like, oh, I, I work too hard or like I'm too perfectionist and I just do too good of a job. Like, I don't know. I think you have to be able to frame that question and in terms of like an actual honest weakness or, or improvement area where you can demonstrate that you've been making um, efforts to fix it, mm. but where you're not just like trying to circumvent the question by being like, you know, I'm, I'm actually too attractive and all of the people who work there are probably going to be asking me out on dates. I'm a homewrecker. <laughs> like, I'm sorry well, for everyone. Like the, the divorce lawyers are going to be rolling in it when I get a job. Right. Look, I'm just really hot. I'm just really hot. I can't help it. <laughs> I mean, another really good answer is, um, let's say you're, you're not managing people yet and you want to manage people. So they say, well, what is something you think you need to improve on? You can say, well, I haven't had the opportunity to manage people and I'd really like that opportunity and that's someplace where I feel I could grow. That's so that's something that's yeah. not tooting your own horn. You know, it is something you do need to grow, but it's not like I get into work late every day or, you know, I can't so shoot more stuff. for aspirational yes. than like yeah. actual negatives. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And just be honest, I think, is the thing for me. So um, we actually have like a ton of questions that like people had had sent in. And one one of the ones that that I I can't relate to because I'm like 
computer focused data. Like it was really easy for me. It's like, what do I do? More data, obviously more data. But there are people who go into roles and it turns out that, that that was just a dead end for them or like they had to try it to know that they don't want it. Um, and now they want to do something else, but they don't necessarily have like a load of experience doing it. How, how do you parlay yourself into something like that where you believe that you would do well and that you're qualified, but the paper doesn't say that? Okay, so it depends a lot on what what your role is. So let's say you're a marketing person mm-hmm. and you're working for a paper goods company and you say like, well, this is the worst job I've ever had. And you want to now go work in, I don't know, in retail. You could leverage your experience as a marketing person, even though you didn't do retail, to try to get into a marketing role in another company. Mm-hmm. And, and and the other thing is, you know, throughout my career, and I've had a million jobs more, not by choice, but by circumstance. Every time I've been in a job where I said, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I discover later in my career that if I hadn't had that experience, there was something else I couldn't have done if I didn't have that really bad experience. And, mm. you know, you will find that you learn much more from bad managers than you do from good managers because you learn about all the things you will never do because it's horrible. Mm. So I think you could be in a bad situation and you can change it and leverage what you've learned to be positive in, in the next role. Yeah, I think you always learn things in every single experience that kind of feed into what you're going to eventually do in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I had like a three-week part-time job uh, one summer in college where I edited this video and I had to make it as well um, for an engineering department on campus. And I was like zero interest in the subject matter. I was cutting footage for hours of like basically just interview clips that weren't really that exciting. And I was like, eh, this job's kind of meh. Uh, but then I became a YouTuber and I was like, oh, all that experience with editing and my lighting question for you, Thomas, is how did you like, how did you hold on for three weeks? Such a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything has to be compressed for me because I haven't had a long career or anything. But, you know, you kind of like look back and you can see like point to experiences like, oh, that didn't seem like the thing that was going to be my career, but it actually really contributed to something I'm doing now or that I want to do. Right. I think I, one I think thing I read about is like, if you want to transition to a new industry, you have to find a way to uh, gain like what's called a career capital or skills or experience that can be applied to that thing. So you can't just like, I don't know, be an engineer and then immediately become a yoga teacher right. and you know run a yoga studio because you don't have all the skills and experience. But maybe you're an engineer and you've been working with, I don't know, video compression. So you have like a little bit of touch points with uh, video. So then you can move into like being a video technician or something like it's different, but you have a little bit of experience that allows you to transfer easily. Right. I, I also think there are very few people, you know, when you're in college, you think, oh, this is what I want to do for my career. Mm-hmm. This is where I went up. And I think there are very few people who at the end of their career actually wound up where they thought, because there are so many different paths along the way and opportunities Mm-hmm. that lead you down other roads because you discover you like something more than you thought or there's something else you didn't like. And even for professions like like doctors, I'm sure they wind up doing different things than they thought when they were in medical school. So yeah. I think you know experience is going to drive your career more than anything else. What was your initial career goal, Mark? My initial career goal was actually music. 
Okay. And I was a music major, and halfway through, I thought I was going to wake up, be 40 years old, playing weddings and bar mitzvahs, and said, I, I don't really want to do this. So, of course, the, the obvious thing to do is major in accounting. So, <laughs> <laughs> I majored in accounting, got my degree in accounting. I was I was working at the time, and discovered after I got my degree in accounting was I didn't really want to be an accountant. I actually enjoyed more of the analysis, and that's when I did my MBA in finance and I got more into sort of the creative side of finance where you're doing analysis around mergers, acquisitions. So you sometimes don't know, you think you know what you want to do and you don't know for sure until you start to work and then yeah. you just several things and it kind of leads you down other paths. What would you say to the person who uh, walked down a path in a job or, or whatever and, and they're starting to realize that, that this is actually not where they want to go. Or, or maybe their boss is just a real dick and they just want to, like, jump. Like what, like, what would you say to someone like that? Well, I mean, you can't just jump. I mean, like, if, if we all quit every time we felt like, oh, I can't do this anymore, I'm just going to quit. And you had a penny for every time you thought that, you'd, you know, we'd all be millionaires. I think you just need to take that step back and be proactive. And one thing I, I say to people who are looking for a job or they're not happy in their current job and they feel like it's overwhelming to look for a job while you're working is if you just do one thing every day. Today, I'm just going to contact one recruiter. That's all I'm going to do. Hmm. Tomorrow, I'm going to go onto a job search site. I'm going to apply for one job. By the end of the week, you've done seven things. And over a period of weeks, they all start to you know, take foundation because now you've contacted three or four recruiters, you've gone into company websites. So I think you can't, sometimes it's really overwhelming if you're in a dead end job or you're just unhappy and it feels like it's never going to happen. But if you take it in small steps and do one, just one thing, it's not overwhelming to do one thing every day in the period of weeks, you'll find that all of a sudden you're starting to get calls, you're starting to get interviews and it all kind of works out. I love that approach. Uh, like in life in general, I, I use this, app called Todoist and it like tracks all the stuff that you're doing, whatever. I try to do at least three things for an entire day. And I could, if I could actually do three things, like I'm done, I'm going to play video games, I'm going to go sleep or something. <laughs> it's actually hard to do three things. But yeah, I think like if you yeah. look at like the very micro level, uh, it, makes, it makes it all more achievable. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to a few of the fundamental things that happened before an interview even starts. So like resumes, cover letters, uh, like what are some tips you have for people to make their resumes and their cover letters more attractive or more likely to end up in the short stack? Right. So obviously if you are just out of college, your resume is going to look a lot different. If you have more experience, I think that there's nothing, number one, I don't think there's any one right format for a resume. I think mm -hmm. you just need to get all the information on there so someone can read it. I think similar to practice interviews, you need to give your resume to your friends and your relatives and let them tear it apart. Uh, let recruiters help you with your resume. Um, I think that uh, if you have experience, you should have you know, two, three resumes depending upon the type of role. So maybe you are um, an engineer and have had some experience doing putting machinery into a, a company but maybe you've done some other stuff as well. So depending upon the role that you're interviewing for, you may use a different resume that focuses more on different experience. So it's not like you're lying about what you've done. You're just the focus of the resume is different depending upon the role that, that you're interested in or interviewing for. Um, 
you know, I think. Good. I'm sorry. I was gonna say a lot of people say that you know I customize a resume for every job, and no, you um, can't do that. I mean, like, yeah, it, that's crazy. Uh, but it makes a lot. It makes I a lot of sense. I disagree. I don't know. So uh, but I don't I, think I you think should like, it, go all out and like customize it, but like it for whatever job you're applying for, it should be tailored. But but here's the to thing: is like, industry. what does that yeah. mean? Right, because it means I think relevance. on the, I think on the face, right? But like, what does that mean? Because on the face, like, yeah, ah, I'm just gonna like tweak this for for every job. But like, what are they looking for? How do you even right. know? Let me give what you the changes example. to be made, Mark Fieber. Let me give you an example. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I disagree. So let me like back up my point here. All right. So like, two a, a couple examples. Number one, in college, I had two really big jobs. I had my IT internship, but I was also an orientation assistant on campus where I gave tours and I helped students sign up for classes and I sat on panels and had to speak in public. So if I were going for a more soft skill oriented job, I would highlight that experience. And if I were going for an IT job, I would highlight the networking IT internship where I sat in a cubicle and just tweaked firewall settings all day. But but that that's you know? the, e- I, honestly, Thomas, I think that's the easy scenario. It's like, I'm applying to a circus and I'm applying to uh, like FedEx Kinko's and then you just put, <laughs> like they're like completely different, but what if you're going for an HR job in a large company um, where you're probably going to be doing very focused things like with fast turnover or you're applying for an HR job in a startup where you're going to have to wear a thousand hats you know, so the role is different, but it's not so easy as saying I could juggle or I could copy things really fast. Like it, it's similar skills. Yeah, but I, I think one of two things can happen. Either you, somebody's grabbed your resume, you, you gave it to a recruiter, they've given it to a company, and they are giving you an interview based on the resume they already have, mm. or you're applying for a job and you're providing it a resume that might be slightly different than what a recruiter has. So I, I think that mm. that's important also. But also I've had times where they already have my resume. It's, it looks very generic, but I have these 10 skills that are specific to this job description. And I just bring that with me because it's stuff I've done. It's, it's specific to the job description. It may not be on my resume because of the, my, my resume would be like you know 10 pages long, but it's stuff they need to know so they know that I'm qualified for that role. So I think a lot of it depends upon how you got the interview. And, and one of the things we didn't talk about, and I think is really important is, you know, the use of telephone interviews now, it almost without a doubt, that's the first thing that happens. It's mm. very rare these days where you ha- your first interview is in person. And the thing that's missing in a telephone interview is that, you know, the body language, um, mm. you know, just like what we're doing now, it's hard to not on a telephone interview, speak over someone. So I think practicing that tele, because if you don't get past the telephone interview, you're not getting you know, the real interview. So I think mm-hmm. people should think about a telephone interview and how to manage that versus an in-person interview, which I think is a lot easier. Well, how do you manage that? Like, What are the expectations? Often the person talking to you isn't even on the team that's going to hire you. No, but the real advantage with the telephone interview, and I, I don't think some people do this, is that you can have whatever you want in front of you because the other person can't see you. Mm-hmm. So you need the job description in front of you. You need stuff you're going to talk about that matches up against the job description. You could even have a little printout of the person and what they're about so you know them. So you have some real advantages in a telephone interview that you don't have in a real interview that you yeah. could use information. So it's going to look like you're really prepared and 
you can, it'll just come off a lot, lot better. Yeah, that is definitely true. One thing I'll add to that is with the telephone interview, you can have all that in front of you, but um, something I learned from interviewing tons of guests on podcasts is if you rely too much on those extra resources and less on listening, you can kind of get lost in them and then Mm. forget where the conversation is going and kind of feel like you're disengaged. Uh, so one of the worst, that good, good point, one of the worst interviews I had was I was at this interview with this executive and in the middle of the interview, he gets this phone call and he takes it for like 20 minutes oh, and wow. I'm just sitting there, right? And at, at the end of the 20 minutes, it's me, what were we talking about? I could not remember what we were talking about <laughs> 20 minutes later. So stuff like that where you're right, you, you do need to focus, you know, mm-hmm. pay attention to what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely nice to be able to have those things out. I think the other thing is like whenever I have uh, not a phone interview, but like personally, I have to pitch myself to schools to speak or when I'm talking with a potential sponsor, I have to really um, deliberately focus on smiling and sounding confident projecting because you're right. You don't have the advantage of body language. You can't really uh, communicate in that way. It's all focused on your voice. But if you act the way that you would in an interview really confidently. I think it comes through in your voice. Oh, definitely. And, and I think Andrew's right. I think most telephone interviews are probably the HR person who's screening you mm-hmm. or a more junior person who's screening you. And it probably won't be as technical in terms of your background as the, the real interview. That's, yeah. my, that's my favorite phrase. I think Andrew's that- right or Andrew's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... I think like we we discussed kind of tweaking it based on you know things you've done, but what if like you're shooting for something completely different? Like you were doing, uh, you were a headhunter and you want to become like an internal HR person. You know, like how how can you? Maybe your skills don't match up at all. Like, is it uh, possible it, to make the leap? What could you do? Yeah, I actually think there there is a connection there. So, you know, if you're a recruiter, you are interviewing people all of the time uh, and you understand. And as a recruiter, you're not making any money unless you place people. Mm-hmm. When you're an internal HR person, it's you don't have that same pressure, obviously, when I hire the right person. So I think mm-hmm. you could definitely come up with an argument of how to bridge the experience you have into something slightly different that you want to do, but where there's a connection. So what are your tips for nailing an interview with somebody who does have the domain knowledge? You know, like I'm guessing you're probably, you've been the person in that situation before because you're not just an HR person. And when you right. interview people, you have all that finance experience. So I know with, you know, with HR people, there are certain things you do to stand out, to kind of get past the, um, you know, the weed out mechanisms, The because HR people are looking for things that stand out in kind of generic ways. But for you, it's like, you know what to look for. You know, right. I, I think there are two parts. One is you really need to feel comfortable with the person because this is someone you'll be working with. And I think the, the interpersonal skills for me is sometimes more important than the experience because most people come in and they're qualified and you understand they're qualified. So I think that's number one, talking to them and speaking with them in a way that you get a feel for their personality and asking questions around their teamwork and difficult situations and, and how they've handled that. And then secondly, you know, just use their resume. If they have, you know, something on the resume, you know, challenge it, not, not in a, you know, a bad way, but in a good way. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? And what did you mm-hmm. do to achieve this? And what were some of the obstacles you had to overcome and had to overcome them? And why don't you tell me about, uh, something that you, you failed at and why you failed and, you know, what, 
what did you learn from that? What can you do differently next time? Mm-hmm. But in our industry, most people certainly have the right experience on paper. Some people are really good at making it look good on paper, but there's nothing behind it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think feeling good about them as a person and digging into some of the things they've put on their resume. And and again, if you're an experienced manager, you've probably already done it. So they're not going to be able to just make it up and make it sound like they, they've done it. So delve into some of the more specific things they put on their resume. Okay. And do you think the resume itself needs to be more specific or go into more detail if the person knows that uh, the resume is going to somebody with more domain experience, somebody who's actually in the trenches? No, because if you make it too specific, it's going to be too long or okay. it's going to look too narrow. So I think, you know, and again, it's the delicate balance of making it broad enough that you can certainly do the role, but have some specifics so that per, the person knows, oh yeah, they, they've done this. You know, I feel good mm-hmm. about that. You know, we uh, sometimes get resumes that are like six pages long or just ridiculous. I don't know a time that we've hired anyone who had a resume longer than one page. Um, and I mean, like I, I'm in it like 10 years and I, the people around me are in it about the same. Like if we could put our stuff onto a page, like cut out the bullshit and be concise, you know, like, I, I don't know. It does, does that make any sense or is that just like a weird bias? No, no, it does make sense. Uh, well, two things there. One is I think if you've got 10 more years of experience, you're more than a page. But mm-hmm. one of the challenges, and this is more of a finance thing, is you know, finest people are really good at creating these like 25 page presentations and something financial. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you get the challenge, you're like a senior manager say, all right, imagine you only have one page you could give. What would be on that page that would give that person everything they needed to know at a high level? And then after that, they could always ask you questions. So you need to yeah. think your resume in that way. Like what do you need to put on, if you want your resume to be one, one page, what do you need to put on that resume? that's going to draw the hiring manager's attention. And then they could, they could ask you more questions afterwards, so uh, but don't make it like six pages. Less is more yeah. then. And like yeah, focus I, yeah. on like being concise and like poignant than like wordy, which, which mm-hmm. then kind of leads me to the question, do, do things like cover letters even matter anymore? I, I think they do matter. I think it depends upon who is going to, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody that, you were introduced to or somebody that doesn't know you at all. Um, I think that your cover letter is trying to tell a hiring manager, these are the reasons why you should interview me. And again, it shouldn't be a resume. It should mm. be, you know, like a, a paragraph or two, but it gives sort of the introduction and enough of a, a hook. So the person says, actually, this is someone well, I'd like to bring in. So my first cover letter was like an elaborate story with like quotes on like why I'm super awesome. Right. And it it probably just like was like dripping narcissist or something. I don't think it had anything to do with them or anything they would care about. It was just like, I'm so great. Here's a, here's a letter about me. I I imagine that's like the worst way to do it. What, what, what needs to be in one so that it matters or makes an impact? I, first of all, I think almost every cover letter needs to be specific to the person and role. You can't have a general cover letter that goes to everyone because that's just total waste of time. So I think you just need to um, tweak it in a way that's specific to the job or the company that you're applying to or for. And and yeah. to the extent you know what the needs are, that's what you need to express in, in the cover letter. 
and then let them then from that say, oh, I need to see this person's resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's, there's this general mentality, like so many people apply to every job that's out there. And, uh, as a result, you have to apply to so many jobs. So there's like this shotgun approach where you just apply to as many as possible. But when you think about it that way, you become like the least common denominator in every application you put out. So my philosophy is like, go just balls to the wall on basically every job you apply for. Like you said, tailor the cover letter to the individual that you're applying to, tailor your resume, all that kind of stuff. Right. I, I, one thing that people generally don't do anymore, and I think it's a really good tactic, is um, almost no one uses snail mail anymore. Everyone is, you know, email, right? Mm. And if you get, the, let's say you wanted to go work for one company and you got the, the senior executive's name that was responsible for that department, and let's say they're pretty high up, if you send them a cover letter with a resume, not folded, flat, in a regular eight and a half by 11 envelope to that person, they're going to read it for two reasons. One is their admin is going to take it out of the envelope and it's not going to be folded up and kind of not going to see it. And mm-hmm. because that per, because they probably almost get no mail, mm-hmm. it's going to stand out because they got something. They're going to be excited and, they got something. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I get probably in any one week, three or four emails from somebody that got my name, they're looking for a job, you know, and I send it off to HR. But if I got something in the mail and it actually, you know, I, I'm probably going to spend a little more time looking at it because somebody took the time to send this to me, you know, and I'm going to look at it. And some senior execs are just going to hand it off, but there's a chance you may get an interview out of it. That's not a bad idea. Uh, it actually it works really well. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Huh. I'm going to tell that to some friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing that people don't do is, you know, people think, well, you really don't need to do a thank you letter. And, and and you don't if your thank you letter is just again this generic thank you very much you enjoy me but if you, your thank you letter is your chance to express to the person in the interview that I heard everything you said and this is the reason why I'm the right person for the job mm-hmm. um, and you know I get I get thank you letters and they they're almost all the same but the person who takes the time to say hey you know you said these five things and this is why my experience fits those that that's important too and, and I think you're right when you say like. There's some people who apply for, let me just apply for hundred jobs today. You know, I'm going to go on to monster.com and apply for all these things. If there's any, if you spend all your time on a job search engine, you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think any job that's been on a job search engine more than three or four days, you know, 500 people have probably applied for it already. So I think yeah. that you need to split your time across recruiters, people that you know, company career sites, a little bit of the job search sites. Uh, some people feel like they'll sit at the computer and all I want to do is just apply to 100 jobs. That, that's not going to get you a job. You have to be pretty mm-hmm. lucky. I actually wonder why people do anything other than use recruiters. Anytime I've ever looked, I any I just like find a bunch of them, give them all my resume, and I'm like, and I I feel like I have an army of people trying to find me a job, and then I like go do something else. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, some people will tell you that less is more, that you don't want to um, do a mass marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And I actually disagree a little bit. I think the more people that know you're looking for a job, the better the chance you're going to get one. Um, and, it, and it's a combination of all the things I said, uh, just spread, spread it around different ways of job search. Maybe we should do an episode sometime on like how to effectively use a recruiter. Or like, you know, who should use a recruiter, who shouldn't, that kind of thing, or, you know, if that even matters. 
I think it's like, call them up, don't be a dick, send them your resume. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose so. So, I mean, we could ask, you know, a zillion more questions about searching for jobs, and I'm sure we'll do more episodes in the future. Uh, One thing I'm curious about, since you're in the finance industry, is I, I feel like there's this general idea out there that you have to be like uber professional in the way you write and the way you present yourself. Um, not just in your industry, like getting a job in general. And when you said like every thank you letter you get is super generic, it kind of triggered that memory for me. How can you show that you're human and show that you're, I don't know, a fun person with a personality without being too goofy or tacky in either your resume or cover letter is probably a better example of this or like a thank you note, you know? I think that what a lot of people forget about are the things they like to do outside of work. Mm-hmm. And actually, some of the questions I ask people in an interview is, you know, what do you do in your spare time? So I think to the extent, without saying, you know, I won 50 awards for swimming and all that type of stuff, that you could show you have other interests uh, that makes you a person. I think mm-hmm. that helps quite a bit. And you, you should have that on your resume. And you should talk about that when you are, um, you know, in an interview. Because I think people want to hear it. They want to know because, hey, let's face it, you know, some of us almost all of us work because we have to work, but mm. we all yeah. have person, we all have personal interests. And some people even take the time to try to find out what the hiring managers interests are and talk to them about that as well. So I think mm-hmm. that that's really key to sort of it's make it funny. You bring that up. My, the, my first job, there was like, it was for Lehman brothers. It was super competitive. And, uh, I, I remember cause I became friends with the guy who hired me. There was like a million resumes and just kind of like flipping through them. And at the bottom of mine, cause I, I, I guess because I'm stupid, but maybe it was a good thing. I, I wrote uh, Apple fanboy because somehow mm-hmm. I thought that was important to put on my resume and, and, he, <laughs> and he saw that and he actually kept it because I put that on. He's like, I want to talk to this guy. And I think it was, you just want to talk to me like, who the hell does this? I just want to see what they look like, you know, but I got the job. Right. Yeah, I just, I bring that up because I feel like we kind of scrub the human element out of it Mm. sometimes. Very much so, yeah. Like the way people write their descriptions of like their job duties and their resume, like was responsible for 800 task hour man forces (laughs) of work units, you know, like they feel like they have to do it as robotically as possible. And I mean there's a person flipping through those resumes. There's a person at the other side of the desk interviewing you. And I just think that there's a skill in being able to communicate that you're you're human and you're fun and you have a personality without going overboard. No, exactly. I I got one last one for you. Um, from, from this whole like beginning process, you know, like resume, um, like phone screen call in person, where do you think people screw it up the most? I think they screwed up the most on the interview. I, I really, I think the number one thing is they're not prepared. Maybe they're not dressed correctly. Maybe the person called them into interview because they, they thought there was a match, but they don't actually have the right experience, but they go anyway because it feels good. Somebody's asking me to be in an interview. Mm-hmm. I think, I really think people do not prepare. I think they feel, I know what I've done. I don't really have to practice or anything. I think that's where they screw up. So is the preparation mm. only on like the company side or, or are you reviewing just kind of your experience as well? Your experience as well and how it matches up with the job description. And you'd be surprised how many people come in for an interview 
and actually don't even remember things on their own resume. And <laughs> I'm looking at the resume and, and like you surprise them because they feel, oh, I wrote this, I know it's on my resume. But if, if you've been working for like 10 years, you have a lot of experience and maybe you wrote some of this stuff three or four years ago and you kind of forgot about it. And now the hiring manager asks you, it's like, oh, I, don't, I forgot I did that. You know, so yeah, I, I, I really think spot. that's where people screw up the most. It's like, oh, that, that's not my resume. No, no, I wouldn't write that. That's right. But, but you know what? It's also questions people ask, like, how long are the hours? You know, mm. how much are you going to pay me? You know, there's just certain things you kind of want to leave out. Yeah. Uh, you know. Like questions that make you seem either selfish or that you're like, you're already kind of gauging how lazy you can be. Right. Those kind of things. I mean, let's face it. If you're going for a job interview, they already know what you're making now. So they're not going to ask you if they're going to pay you less. So they're looking to pay more. Number one. Number two, corporate culture. You can find that out a thousand different ways without asking the hiring manager. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many resources to find that stuff out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah, be prepared. That's what I say. Cool. Well, I think that wraps it up for my questions. If you have Anything else, Andrew? Air it now. Otherwise, I'm good. I'll good. I'm good. I'll just ask him like tomorrow, and it won't be recorded. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody can hear it. <laughs> no, this has been really good, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of use out of it. So uh, we'll definitely do more career-related stuff in the future because I know it relates pretty heavily to personal finance. I mean, it is yeah. how the money comes in. <laughs> You're building yeah, to get sure. a job. Income so, is the um, essence of wealth. And yeah, if you guys get any questions through your emails, um, you know, send them on to me and I'll, I'm happy to answer any questions. Yeah, you absolutely. Are, are you, you know sure? It? Because I'll take you up on that and you <laughs> yeah, may change your mind. I wouldn't have said it if I, if I <laughs> All right. Didn't. So if you have career questions, my dad will answer them for you. Challenge him <laughs> on how many emails you will send. All right. Well, I guess Mark Faber is our official career question expert here on Listen Money Matters. Uh, also, if you have career questions, we'd be happy to turn them into additional episode topics in the future or round them up for five questions. Mm. So definitely let us know what's on your mind. Listen, money matters at gmail.com is our email address, or you can tweet us money matters, man on Twitter. Um, let us know. Yeah. Should I wrap it up, dude? Absolutely. All right. So I think, yeah, we already mentioned the email. So the last thing is uh, if you want to find all of our favorite resources, both books for improving your financial knowledge, but also tools that we use every single day, you can find that over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So check uh, that out. I do, I do want to mention else? something related okay. to the toolbox. So one, Ooh. it is the beginning of the year. Look at it. You should be investing. Betterment has reduced their prices. And they That's are now, we, me, me and you, Thomas, we were having like a text back and forth. They announced it. Uh, this episode is going to go live. I think it was like a week ago at this point. Yeah. They, they've uh, really upped their game. I mean, we loved them before. Now they just kind of shut everyone out. Um, mm -hmm. new, new deals. They even have like CPA advisory kind of like hooked into them. Um, yeah. You know we love them. Uh, yeah. Well, I like... I always liked Betterment, but my, my one reservation is that I personally, from at least on College Info Geek, have a mainly student audience who's mm. not going to be doing like a 5K initial deposit. And they had like a $3 per month fee if you weren't auto-depositing $100 per month. Which sucks. So, you know, their fees were always pretty low unless you fell into that thing where you're, you're only putting like 20 bucks a month in there. Three bucks a month is pretty substantial. So now that they've gotten rid of that and it's now just a flat 0.25%. 
that's pretty competitive. And I don't know. I, I feel like it's now something I can recommend to basically anybody who doesn't want to think too hard rather than like, oh, only do it if you have a hundred bucks a month or more to spare. Mm. So that's pretty cool. So but yeah, check it out. Oh yeah, do, go ahead. Yeah, and no, I was gonna say, do do the Betterman thing. Try it. Uh, if if you love hearing our voices, you could do it through our toolbox, and you'll get like extra free bonus things that I don't remember, but you'll get them. <laughs> <laughs> extra free bonus things that I don't remember. Betterman will reward you by coming through us because we're special. Yeah, um, you yeah. can get you can get a certain amount of months with no fees whatsoever, depending mm. on how much you put in. So that's the bonus that I know of, at least. Uh, so any, anyway, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you can find that and lots of other resources that we recommend. Anyway, I think that's about it. So, Mark, thank you once again for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us. And uh, to everyone else out there listening, we will see you next week. Later, dude. Later, man. Tell your friends about this show. <laughs>